Read along with me if you would, please. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, but which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I received, also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Kephas, that's Peter, and then by the twelve, and after he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of all apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection from the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, well, then Christ isn't risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are also found false witnesses of God because we've testified that God has raised up Christ, whom he didn't raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. And if the dead don't rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, well, they've perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we of all men are most pitiable. What a pitiful batch are we, the worst. Now, if Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, yeah, but now Christ is risen. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one has his own order or in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming. And then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. Now, but when he says all things he put under him, it's evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him. That's God, and that, that God may be all in all. Now, otherwise, what will they do for those who say, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If, they are, if the dead do not rise at all, why are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Now, I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought wild beasts in Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead are not rise? Do not rise. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die. Now don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. That alone, you should, we should all just go for a walk for ten minutes and think about. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. 
For some of you have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Some of, the, some of you do not have the knowledge of God. I'm sorry. I speak this to your shame. Oh, but some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? You can hear Paul saying it that way. I can at least. Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain or perhaps like wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases and to each seed its own body. Now, all flesh isn't the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another kind of flesh of animals, another flesh of, of fish, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. The glory of the celestial one and the glory of the terrestrial one is another. There's one glory of the sun, and there's another glory of the moon, and another glory for stars. But one differs from another in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and then there's a spiritual body. And so it is written that the first Adam became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However... Spiritual is not first, the natural is first, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those that are made of the heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we, also, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren. That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. By the way, when our first child was born, I used to put that verse up right where the nappies were. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall all be changed. I don't think my wife found it very funny. I didn't. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Isaiah 25, 8, by the way. O death, where is your sting? Hosea 13, 14. O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Pray with me, would you please? So, Lord, here we are. We're in the second to the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. And we've come again to fellowship with you and each other. We've come again, Lord, to expect you to do really cool things among us, to teach us and instruct us, to equip us to do that, Lord, what you intend. So, Lord, I pray you would do that now. Lord, that you would have your way, that we would have so much fun in this text. And tonight, I pray you would set people free to do your will. And so, Lord, where we have come to dumb conclusions, instruct us. Where we have been wrong, correct us. Where we are lacking, fill us. 
where we are weak, strengthen us. But not for our personal glory, but rather, Lord, for your desire, for your glory, for your blessing, even now, Lord, I pray. So, Lord, have your way. And, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit to overflowing that through me, Lord, you would do that which you intend, which, Lord, clearly is to, well, to glorify you, to be with you first and then be used by you to touch lives. Thank you, Lord. It's not about me. It's about you. So have your way now. And Lord, I open our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive what you want now. Bring salvation. Bring hope. Bring equipment that we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work, just as you intend. Jesus, in your name. Amen. I would say tonight, as I would any night, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have its final say, just as God intends. Because I'm not the authority, the Bible is. And anybody who tells you otherwise, be wary. Here's the problem. How many of you in here know that you know that you know that you're saved? If you were to die right now, you are totally heaven bound, no argument about it. Hands up. I mean, hands up nice and strong. Get them up. What, what? Come on now. This should, be, this should be the easiest moment where you're like, yeah, yeah. Come on now. Right? There we go. Why? Do you know? Did you make it up or did someone tell you? Is there a clear definitive reason or not? Now, how many of you in here totally feel ready at this given moment that if you needed to, with somebody were on their deathbed, you could share the information that was necessary clearly and simply? so that you know that a person at their deathbed could give their life to Christ, could be saved. How many of you with a hands up? Oh, that's cool. Now, I, almost, that's almost more hands than the first. I'm not too sure what to do about that. That's encouraging. That's very, very encouraging. You know what? Can I just say, this is the benefit of the culture we live in here. Even more so than any place I've been, we just know that receiving Christ, walking with Him, it's going to cause trouble. The Bible tells us whoever desires to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. And there's almost a get over it in the tone of it. Now, here's the most amazing thing in all of this. And what we're going to get to is the, the sort of the girth of his argument sort of next week, uh, verses like 1920 onward to the end of the chapter. And what's going to happen in the simplest sense is he looks at him and goes, now, how in the world could you debate over something Have you even thought this through? And by the way, it's a really funny thing to talk with, or a fun thing, if you perhaps, to talk with some who, if you're honest about it, really are making it up as they go along. They're like, I believe God is, and their head's kind of rolling back to that point where they're, you know, accessing the creative part of their brain, right? And you kind of know it. And I believe God is blah, 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 blah. And maybe that, you know, really in the beginning, maybe there's a few pet answers you heard from like Oprah or from some greeting card or something, or maybe like an atheist website or something like that. And so they throw a couple things out or whatever. And then you're kind of listening and you're like, okay, and let's develop that for a moment. Why do you think that way? And if God were this, let's go beyond it. Have you even really thought about the implications of what you're really saying? I mean, I, I didn't know, I didn't give my life to Jesus Christ, nor have a clear view of who he was until I was 19 years old. But I remember being 11, 12 years old, and I was probably the smartest I'll ever be at 11 or 12, unless God fully restores what the locusts have eaten. And uh, in, I remember those days, and, and talking to people that really love to wax eloquent, but I, now that I realize I have a daughter just like this, and I love this about her, she's just one of those guys when someone's like, well, you know, we kind of do this, and she's like, so you're a con artist, right? And I'm like, honey, let's think of a tactful way to say that. 
You're lying to your children. Oh, I love her for that. But listening to people say, tell me who this God is. And as you see them sort of play off of it, and you're like, so what does that mean? And how does that play out? And after a while, you're like, it just, I remember being 11 going, you're making this up as you go along, aren't you? Which is really rough, and I realize now my 11-year-old would do the same. But at, at 19, though, somebody laid out a very simple thing called the gospel. And everything changed. But here's the crazy part about this whole chapter. He's going to lay it out in those first 18, 19 verses, to be honest, in a very simple way. And my prayer is that every one of us will walk out of here with that simple information, equipped and ready. Now, hear me on this. <laughs> the rest of the chapter, because have you even thought about what you're actually arguing over? Did Jesus literally raise from the dead? Did he really raise? And understand the, the purpose of that, and we'll get into that in a greater detail next week, is really, to be honest, because there were a group of people that were Jewish that had already argued over this point. They were called the Sadducees. And what we'll find is, according to the book of Acts, it says that the Sadducees already say there's no resurrection. So what they did is when, they gave, when these people responded at an altar call, they tried to decide how much of who, what they originally believed they could drag over to the new Christianity thing that they get involved in. And every one of us could do that if we're not careful. We could start saying, well, I still think, I still think. And here's the question. And, and I'm, to be honest, I don't even like to argue. I don't like to die on every one of those hills because you could spend your whole life there. I'm like, are you willing to read the Bible with me? And if you're willing to read the Bible with me, are you willing to change your mind when God shows you the truth? Because that's really the bottom line. When you get to go, oh, that's who you say you are. I really do like that about him. He really does make it clear. So in the first 19 verses, he really lays this out. But let me kind of lay out some things here. And what I want to kind of do is, is maybe what we could do is sort of have an, like, sort of an evangelism intensive for the next, um, I don't know, for the next half hour, 40 minutes here. Because if we do that, perhaps what will happen is we'll actually be all the more ready for this, um, this point. Because I really do want to kind of lay out some, some real simple facts first. Because if we don't do that first, we might be in some kind of trouble. Now, now follow me in this, by the way, for what it's worth. Uh, we want to start with some simple basic points. And then we'll get into this simple laying out of the gospel, which, by the way, is, to me is simple, and it's right in front of us, laid out and as simple as one could possibly get. So follow me in this for a second. And what I want to do here is I want to lay this out in four basic points as we, as we get into our text. The first is God's passion. The second is God's purpose. The third is God's power. And the last is God's people. Now, again, don't just believe me. I'm going to run around the scriptures a bit here, and I'm going to lay them out for you. But don't just believe me because I say them. Take a look at them at home. You ready? Thank you. That was no one responded for that. Are you ready? Okay. I am. Here we go. Ezekiel 18.32. Ezekiel 33.11. 1 Peter 3.9. 1 Timothy 2.3 and 4. You said you were ready. Ha ha ha. Okay, follow me on this. Ezekiel 18.32 says this, by the way, I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord, therefore turn and live. Ezekiel 33.11 says, As I live, says the Lord, I have no delight in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn and live. That's where God gets his delight, is that the wicked would turn and live. 1 Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slack in his promise, concerning his promise, as some, can, some count slackness. In other words, God's not a slacker. But he's long-suffering toward us, not willing, listen, not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. 1 Peter 3.9 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. That could be easy to remember. 1, T, 2, 3, 4. It says that it is good and acceptable as in the sight of God, our Savior, listen, who desires all men to be saved. Now, the Greek word for all is translated all. Does that help at all? Every time the word here it's translated all. Never once in Scripture will that word be translated some, most, part, or portion. It will always be all. Now understand, I'm not telling you God's going to get what he wants. What I am telling you is this is what God wants. He desires, according to that verse, in the rest of the verses, he desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, here's the thing. Our first basic point is God's passion. And God's passion is for that person to be saved. That's what he wants. He will want him saved or her saved more than you ever will. Even if that's your mom or dad or kids. He will really want that. So let's say I approach a total stranger. I'm just going to, I'm not picking on Nate Fair. This, this, this guy walking down the street, he's got his, he's looking, he's looking nice, he's got his suit on. Let's say I run by him and he's just by the gherkin and he's just come out and I think, wow, this guy's really, and I come up to him and when I look at him, though I have no other, I know something about him he doesn't know about him. And that is, I know that the one who created you wants you saved. He wants you saved. And he wants you saved so bad that he's at this moment scrambling and looking around to say, who can I use to drive this guy mental till he finally says yes to me? And lo and behold, look who he sends. Mr. Mental himself, your pastor. And as I approach him, that's the first thing, is that God wants this man saved. You get that? And it's so fun because I can look at a guy and I, and, and, or a gal and I can look at them and they could be in whatever condition they're in. And they could be, you know, and, and, and when I used to have a college Bible study. This was way back before some of you all were even born. And I'd be walking out after this thing. This is 25 years ago. And 26 or 24 years ago, and I'm and I'm walking with my Bible, and there was this place in Chico, California, the place by the where my, my brother is the pastor. And hear me on this: that there was this place where they used to sell these crazy things, and they looked like, and some of you may not even know what CDs are anymore, but they were bigger and they were black, and we called them albums. And we actually could count how many times in a minute they went around: 33 on a third time. I'm not, why would you count that? You need a life if you do that. But just the same. And, and in front of this place were these guys and they were all like, you know, just trying to be like anti, as anti-Christian as they could be. They were upside down crosses. They, they, these, um, with tattoo pentagrams on them. One guy had a t- pentagram tattooed on his face, on his head. That's really cute. And, I mean, and, you know, and they would kind of hang out. And of course it was all black leather. And basically they probably all moved to Camden once they lost their hair and got those league press on Mohawks, right? You're probably where most of those guys now, they're fake. But anyways, I hope that doesn't shatter you. Anyways, and, and, and I remember walking by, and here I am, right? I'm do-do-do-do-do with my Bible. Look, do-do-do-do. And this guy steps in front of me, right? He's like, uh-uh. It's like something like a scene from Greece or something, right? And I kind of look up. And I understand, I've been fellowshipping with the Lord, and that was not going to change just because a little, you know, black bozo was jumping in front of me in his leather-tight whatevers. 
And he comes up and he's like, what are you doing? What are you carrying there kind of thing? And I'm like, I'm carrying my Bible. And then I look and he's got this big upside down cross, which we've learned lately is quite the fashion. Have you seen? And I look at him and I go, I want to thank you. Now, I'm not normally somebody that looks like Barney, like, right, when I'm like in this. But this was just one of those moments where I had no other option. Right? For whatever reason, God's like, we're going to press the Barney button. I love you. You love me. Right? And so I look at him, I want to thank you. And he goes, for what? And I says, you've reminded me of a great, one of the greatest moments in the history of humility. He goes, what are you talking about? I says, there was a guy who so didn't, in his own mind, deserve to be killed the same way as his Lord and Savior, that he asked to have even a more agonizing of being crucified upside down. Thank you for reminding me of that. And the next guy goes, yeah, look at this. And he's like there and he's showing off. He's like pentagraphed. And I go, oh, thank you too. Because God says that he put every star in its place and he calls them all by name. He's got you here right now to talk to me. And the guy's like, ah! And they started to flee. And the fun part about that was the scariest thing to them was me. And so will you be. Because if you're an old, I mean, everyone else walks by clutching their handbag or man bag or whatever bag. And I was like, do, do, do. I love you. You love me. Oh, nice. But the thing is, the moment I saw them, the first thing that was entering my heart was the Lord saying, I want this guy. He's like, remember Paul? What was he kind of like? Hey, remember, oh, remember? And it's like, and you, once you get around the block a couple times, you see people and you're like, someone's like, man, I'll never get saved. And you know, there's a party that goes, you know what, bro? I've seen worse. Get saved, man. So you could try harder if you want, or just surrender to Christ like you're going to anyways. Now, there's this kind of old Indian proverb that says, if you throw a rock in a pack of wild dogs, the one who barks the loudest is the one hit the hardest. <laughs> you start talking about Jesus, and someone's like, Bleh! you know, and they're like pea soup, and they spin around on a rotisserie that doesn't exist. And you're kind of like, oh, you're closer than you know. So God's passion, God's passion is for you to be saved. God's passion is for them to be saved. How many people do you think, according to these verses, how many people in London do you think God wants saved? This should be an easy question. Okay, let me ask you again. Feel free to answer out loud. How many people in London do you believe, or according to these verses, God once saved? All? Did you get all? All. How many members of your family does God want saved? Yeah, why is that so, like, diminishing? All. You're like, but you don't know my mom. But he does. He still made her. No. Second thing, God's purpose. God tells us that we all like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Jesus took the price. That's, by the way, Isaiah 53, 6. It tells us, by the way, that this Jesus, Matthew 121, call his name Yehoshua, which means, by the way, God our Savior, because he will save his people from their sins. That's God's purpose. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That was the first thing Jesus was called by John the Baptist. That's how he shows up on stage. Jesus says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5 says, You know, he was manifested to take away our sin, 
please hear me in this. God's purpose is Jesus. And here's the problem. That's the last thing we talk about. We can talk about their drinking problem. We could talk about their choice of inappropriate and modest dress. We could talk about their lifestyle. We could talk about everything else in the world, but the only way a person is going to get saved is if they meet Jesus. And I've found a lot of times, there are some people, and I've met people like this, that call themselves Christians, and I don't want to say whether they are or not. It's not my job to, to judge. But it's like, I would never share Jesus with that person. They love Chelsea. They root for Arsenal. I'm like, really? That's where you're going to go with this? Because there's no room for that. In the end of it all, it's going to be about Jesus or it's going to be about nothing meaningful. That's the point. Now listen. The third of our four, God's power. And it really is simple. But this one breaks up. So listen. It's going to break up really into like, some really simple things. Listen, God's power, first of all, this is kind of how we play this thing out. God's power to speak. Now hear me on this, please. Jesus told us not to worry. In Mark chapter 13, verse 11, he says that the Holy Spirit will do the speaking through you if you let him. Jesus said in Acts 1.8 that when the Holy Spirit has come upon us, or in their case, them, that we'll be, we'll be witnesses, literally evidence. In Luke chapter 21, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, Settle not in your hearts to meditate beforehand what you will answer, but I will give you, listen, God's promise, I will give you a mouth. You have that already. So look at you're already halfway there. And wisdom. All of your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Now please hear me in this. God's intent on this is not to make you awesome. You were already awesome when he proved it at the cross. But we're like, but what if I can't answer every one of their questions? Do you realize you don't have to? You have the answer? And people use certain things like Christian pepper spray. Have you learned this? It's like, who was Cain's wife? And I was like, who cares? She's married. Why are you interested? Let's find out about Jesus. Well, what about the Inquisition? I wasn't there. Were you there? What about the Pope? He's never invited me to dinner. Let's get back to the one person you need to deal with. What about Jesus? God's power to speak, it's his Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. According to Ephesians 1.13, if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, he already lives in you. Have a nice day. God's power to save? Romans 1.16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ or the gospel of Christ because it is not a or one of, but the power of God to salvation for all who believe. So it would be nice to know it if it's the one tool God uses to save that way. And that's what we're going to get to here in just a moment. But here's the last part of that. God's power to speak, his Holy Spirit. God's power to save, his gospel. And then God's power to sway. And this is one of my favorite things. In John chapter 16, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit has come, the Spirit of truth, listen, 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 he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. The word, by the way, literally means to convince. So get this. 
God wants this guy saved so much. And I'm going to go back to this situation here. Sorry. And I'm like, I'm looking at this guy going, God wants you saved, right? And this guy would be like, God, what are you talking about? And I'll look at At that moment, I know that God wants him saved so much, he's going to even use someone crazy like me. He could use a donkey. We've seen that in the past. So we can use other donkeys like myself. That's not a problem. Have you ever been in such a situation where you start to talk to someone and you know you have like that killer zinger thing that you're going to reach down and be like, bam, and you're going to throw it in and they're going to be like, oh man, I'm a miserable barrette. You're so smart. You're so holy. You're so awesome. And they're going to walk away and get saved. But you can't find it. Those moments like it was there on your tongue, but you're waiting for them to stop so you can blast them with this moment. And then it's there. And then you reach down and you're like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Right? But you're trying not to look like you're panicking. You're like, oh. but inside you're going, what is it? What is it? What is it? But then you can't find it. And then they walk away. And then you're like, ah, oh, I have it again. Hey, you ever realize sometimes the Holy Spirit's greatest act is actually shutting us up? It's like, hey, that would have really won for me, but I'm not talking to me. I'm talking to you. And sometimes the God goes, we're just going to pull that out. Keep reaching. Because <laughs> he needs to think about the last thing I said. I'll give that back to you when you walk away. But here's the cool thing. So God says, I want to speak through you. The gospel, that's the one thing we better lay out here. That's the one thing. But here's the cool thing. Now, please hear me. It says, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convince. He doesn't say you will. And he never told me or you it was your job to convince anyone. Guess what I just did? I pulled all the burden off of you for the results because that's not your job. Imagine, if you will, you're a, I mean, you know the one thing he relates it to more than anything in Scripture is farming so imagine it's your job to make the seed grow. Man, that would really be terrible. My wife kills anything. I love her for it, but it's, it's just, it doesn't matter what it is. Now, I've, traditionally I have those moments like that. I have two plants, though, right now in my office. They will not die even if I tried to kill them. I don't know what in the world's going on. Just the Lord. But imagine you throw the seed in the ground and you're like, you know what? I mean, if you ask a farmer, maybe they know the soil a little bit. Maybe they know the seed a little bit. They might say, well, you know, by August you'll see this, or by September you'll see this, or whatever. But it's like, okay, how many seeds did you throw? I threw exactly 732 of them, and every one of them I specifically planted in a very careful place. And then as I put them in a very careful place, I just want you to know I have a really good eye about 713. 715, I'm a little concerned. You know what? What a farmer does, especially in the Middle East, he goes, and some of it's going to work out. As a matter of fact, that's why when Jesus says a sower goes to sow some seed and he gives us four soil types, everyone already got that because that's the way it works. You know, here's the crazy part. What we're trying to do sometimes is like we're doing like demographic surveys. And we're going to do all these kind of things so that we make sure that the five people I can reach in London, I'm going to get to before I'm done today. But what if you were actually less discriminate and you're just like, you know, I'm just going to share the Lord with whoever's willing to listen and I'm going to not worry about it. If the gospel really is the power of salvation, here's the cool thing. If the Holy Spirit's the one to convince, I can look at him and he's like, well, what about it? What about it? And I can say, I don't know. I'm not running the universe. That's the good news for both of us. And I'm like, but I don't have to convince you. 
hey, there are times where I've actually shared the gospel with someone and they've like run up one side of my face and down the other side and yelled all kinds of things. And I was like, wow, that was a really fun experience. Walked away. Three days later, they'll show up at church and I'm like, you know what? I couldn't sleep. Man, I need that. And you're like, you know, I would not have written this script. And if I had, you would not have given me that grief. You, you know, I barely slept either, but for a different reason, you know. But you don't tell them that because then they wouldn't come to church. There's something really cool about knowing, you know what, God wants you so bad, he will convince you. If there is a convincing to be done, if you are in any way convincible, he will convince you. I'm not worried about it. I'm, I want you saved at this very moment, but if that's not the case, ah, you're still God's problem. I love that. So understand, that's the beauty of this, is that I'm already saved. And whether anybody says yes or no, I'm still saved. That's not in the balance. So guess what? I have the victory before I step on the field. And when I leave, I'll still have the victory. The issue is not whether I'm going to win. I already won. The question is whether you will. So someone's like, I don't want Jesus. I'm like, wow, stinks to be you. I still got victory in Christ. I hope that you'll change that for your sake, but I'm still saved. God's not like, I show up and he's like, you know, how many people did you save today? I'm like, I didn't save anyone. I never will. Hey, look at I can't make seed grow, but I can keep it from growing. I can just keep it in my bag. But if I throw it, I am much more likely to get a harvest if I can actually get the seed to soil. I like, But do I put it in pointy end first? Or I just care. It's a volume business. Man, get it out and watch what happens. That's part of the beauty here. So listen, God's power to convince is not your job. The beautiful part is let him have it. And here's the cool thing. He's 24-7. You're not. Which, by the way, is good because it would be super creepy if, if Nate woke up in the middle of the night and then I was on his bed and go, remember what I said back at 3 p.m.? He would have a right to get a restraining order, wouldn't he? But God, on the other hand, it doesn't matter where he runs. He could go on a distant island and all that will do is quiet him for God to speak louder. Oh, you're so God's problem. Praise the Lord for that. Isn't that beautiful? So listen, God's power to speak that's the Holy Spirit. God's power to save, that's his gospel. God's power then to sway, well, that's his Holy Spirit again. And here's the last thing. You ready? Because this is the really scary one. God's people. God's passion, he wants them saved. God's purpose, that's just Jesus. That's simple. God's power, Holy Spirit, gospel, Holy Spirit. The last thing, well, who are we then? You ready for this? You ready? Thank you, Mom. I'm sorry. Um, Thank you. Listen, 1 Corinthians 3, 7. Neither he who plants or he who waters is anything. It's God who gives the increase. If you go, well, I need more than just nothing. Okay, cool. Well, then let's just go to 1 Corinthians 1, a little bit deeper in there. Uh, 27 through 29. Listen, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. He's chosen the base things of the world, the things which are despised, and the things which are not, that to bring to nothing the things which are, that no flesh would glory in his presence. You know, okay, so here it is. Ready? Foolish, weak, despised, base, are not. How does he choose the things that are not? Have any of you ever had anyone say, you will never amount to anything? God goes, Perfect, you qualify. I dare, I, every once in a while, I'll dare use sort of a Hollywood example, only 
because it kind of connects with some people. I'm not endorsing Hollywood, but here's one of them. When Captain America, the whole, those of you who actually saw it, what made the guy qualify? To be honest, what made him qualify is that he was the wimpiest, unhealthiest, you know, he was like, you brought a 98-pound asthmatic onto my, you know, look, he's making me cry. The whole point of it was, it's like, if the guy were anything other than that, you couldn't tell whether the program worked. But this isn't a program, this is a person who really desperately wants to transform people. That's the beauty of it. And God says, if I pick people who are really clearly way out on this, then he gets all the glory. So if you think God's using you mightily, praise the Lord, but don't hurt your shoulder patting yourself on the back. He probably picked you so that people go, well, if God can use him, he can really use anyone. That's the beauty of it. You know, we are, we're nobodies, but that's the beauty in it. It isn't about my name, it's about his. That's the thing. I'm not cutting in the queue by doing what I get to do. I love what I get to do here. You know why? Because I know God does stuff with it. It's kind of cool to note that. So look at this is the way it works. Someone throws seed. Somebody else puts some water on it. Somebody else gets to see that. Somebody else cultivates it. It's like every bit of it. But the thing is, in the end of it all, by the time the harvest is happening, 15 people, chances are, have been investing in it. Most of them won't see that until they stand before God in heaven. Here's the thing people say. There's no harvest in Western Europe. Can I just say, if nobody preaches the gospel, there will be no harvest. Is the gospel is the power of salvation. It is the seed that is sown. Now, hear me. Church membership? That's not going to save you. You know, you could actually wear a McDonald's uniform and die of starvation. Malnutrition is maybe more like it, but you get the idea regardless. And the point is, just because you walk into a McDonald's, you'll never be a hamburger because you walk into a McDonald's, and just walking into a church doesn't get you saved. Being a member of something, okay, Christ tells us, if we accept his gift, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know what happens? You know what happens? We become a member of the body of Christ. And that's different than becoming a member of a church. Praise God, he doesn't take group membership. He's all about calling us by name, not category. Aren't you thankful? So when someone says, our church, I get a little nervous from the get-go. Imagine if we were like, someone says, we are the restaurant of London. I'm like, so what about those other places where people eat? No, they're not real food. We are the real food. Yeah, maybe for you. But I get a little nervous about that. So hear me on this. Now we're going to walk through this quick text in regards to these very simple points. If the gospel is the power of salvation, know your seed now. And can I say, here's the simple stuff. But what if you just let God do what he wanted to do? You know what? You get pretty simple about it. Not sinful, simple. You did hear that clearly, right? You, here it is. Ready? Give the gospel. Give a choice. Give God space. There you go. I'm going to give the gospel. I'm going to give you a choice. You need to know there's a choice you get to make in this. Well, let me think about it. Let me, whatever. I don't know. Okay, whatever. You know what? I'm going to give God space. But can we agree that you know I've given you a choice? All right. So you're alone tonight and I'm not there. You still know you can have that choice? Now, look, at, when I was younger and like everything was like shoot my gun kind of thing, 
I was like, you need to do it now. You don't know whether a truck might hit you on the way. You might just turn around the corner and a lorry's going to blast you. And people, and I understand, and uh, praise the Lord, it was really because I really wanted to see them saved. But the Lord, I've learned, it's like, look, at, if there is a chance for them to say yes, he's going he's gonna to get there. And I do love that. What's amazing is sometimes that may take the death of someone in the family. It may take a radical situation happening with them. For some, it's prison. For some, it's like back to an addiction or it's like you just, somewhere down the line, you've got to come to an end of yourself if you're going to ask to be saved. And that's never a pleasant road. So when God's like, stop bailing them out, give them space to finally receive me, I'm like, okay, Lord, all right. It hurts to watch, but I know what God's going to do here. So you ready? Paul says, look at He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. Please hear me on this. Really quick on this, the word preach, I dare you to find one place in Scripture, it's negative. So can I just say, as far as this church is concerned, never use that word negatively. I'm not going to preach at you. Say, please preach at them. Well, I don't want to be preachy. Be preaching! <laughs> scripture says, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the word. It's one of the last things Paul told Timothy. Preach the word. Share with an intent to influence. That's what the word means. Everybody does it. When somebody tells you, don't you preach at me, they are preaching at you not to preach at them. Think about it. They are sharing with the intent to influence me. Well, you're preaching. I'm going to preach back. You need Jesus. You need to recycle. Yeah, you are rich. I mean, I have people that are like, you're as much of a religious nut as I am. Preach the gospel. By which you received, grabbed a hold of, literally, because I love them. This is by which you stand, and by which you're also saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Unless you really believe in, like, like, for no real purpose. So listen, I delivered you, first of all, which I also received. In other words, why would I give you something I haven't had? I think even Shakespeare would say, never trust a cook that hasn't licked his fingers, or will not lick his fingers. So listen, you ready? I delivered you, first of all, that which, Christ, which I also received. And it's four very simple things. Here's the first of them. Ready? Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. That was pretty rough, isn't it? Listen. Jesus died. Well, yeah, every guy dies. For your sins according to Scripture. That's my first point. But do I have to convince them they're a sinner? But that sin word, people don't know what it is. What's funny is they're like, oh, that's the same word we've used. Yeah, because the problem's been there since the first person. Same problem, same solution. Your sin needs to be punished. It was punished on Jesus. But he didn't just die for your sins. It was according to Scripture. God, his plan was always there to punish your sin on his son. So here's the first point. Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. Ready? I'm going to give you a chance. Number one, ready? For your sins according to Scripture. Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. Your turn. Jesus 
goodness, it's like you're being brainwashed. If your brain is filthy, if your brain is being filthy, may it get washed by what it should be washed by. Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. By the way, if God wants them saved, it doesn't matter whether you're Indian or a direct descendant of Muhammad. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white or whether you think you're from Jupiter. Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. Does that make sense? But you don't understand. You're probably right. You don't understand what I went through. You're right. But Jesus still died for your sins according to Scripture. You don't understand my lifestyle. Maybe not. But I know this. Jesus did die for your sins according to Scripture. Well, you don't understand what I've done. Probably. But I might call it sin. And can I say, Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. But I'm an archaeologist. I didn't know that was a religion. Jesus still died for your sins according to Scripture. But I'm Muslim. Jesus still died for your sins according to Scripture. But I'm a Buddhist. He still died for your sins according to Scripture too. If you are a human being, he died for your sins according to Scripture. That's the good news. Old, rich, young, poor, whatever it is. Whether you root for England or someone else in the World Cup, he still died for your sins according to Scripture. First step. You ready? Because the second one's going to be really difficult. You ready? What was the first one? Okay, ready? Here's your practice. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them that. Okay. Did you get that far? Okay, you ready for the second one? Okay, this is going to be rough. Ready? He was buried. Sure. He was buried. Take a look at the text. And that, he was buried. Pretty, pretty rough, right? What was the first one? Boom. What's the second one? He was buried, right? Now, Peter says, look at I'm just sharing with you what I first received. Jesus died for your sins, according to Scripture. He was buried. You ready for the third one? Look what it says. It says that he rose again on the third day, according to Scripture. So, rose again on the third day, according to Scripture. Your turn. Rose again on the third day, according to Scripture. Was it a, fir- a Thursday, a Friday, a Saturday, a Sunday? You really want to argue about it? Listen, he rose again on the third day, according to Scripture. I'm going to go with Sunday, but let's stop arguing over some things. Let's just get, you know what? And people are like, well, wait a minute, but did Jesus marry Mary Magdalene and have kids? And have you heard, have you ever heard this really fun one lately? Here's the fun thing. When I hear that, I'm like, hey, you know what? Can we agree? For those first three and a half years, Jesus was really busy with the ministry stuff. Healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, so forth. I mean, there, if you're part of me saying, I don't want to be, you know, gross, but you really didn't have a lot of time to get alone with anyone. Nonetheless, some kind of marriage thing you think we kind of get in Scripture. So the only time you possibly could have done this, and I don't agree that that happened, by the way. I just have fun with it. Listen, the only time this could have possibly happened would have been after he died, which means he had to resurrect. And if he resurrected and married and had kids, the bottom line is he's still resurrected. I don't want to argue that point. The point is, Jesus rose again on the third day according to Scripture. And what are you going to do with that? Do you want to see what I'm saying? 
Well, did he live on this part or that part? Was he really called a Nazarene? Yeah, so what? But Jesus died according to your sin. According, Jesus died for your sin according to Scripture. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to Scripture. Did you get that? What was the first one? Boom. What was the second? The hard one? He was buried. What was the third? He rose from the dead on the third day according to Scripture. Did you get that? Okay, here's the last one. Ready? Listen to what it says. And then he was seen by Kephas, and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over 500 brothers at once, and whom the greater part remained to the present. Uh, some have fallen asleep. And then he was seen by James. I'm like, whoa, James. But James, the only James that was left was his own brother. Half-brother. Same mom, different dad. And I'm like, wow, we, have that, we don't have that recorded in Scripture anywhere else. Like, could you imagine somewhere down the line, you're like, my brother, the Messiah, shut up, right? And they're like this. He rises from the dead, and sooner or later, he's like, how you like me now? <laughs> you know, there's a point where I'm taking the thing, okay, because James will write the book of James on it. And he's like pretty, this guy's like in your face. He's kind of like my 11-year-old, only grown up. And then it says, and last of all, after all that, he was seen by me. That guy that was kind of born out of time, that's, I don't even deserve this. So how do I put it? Ready? He was seen by lots of people. How's that? He was seen by lots of people. And by the way, I know him too. And what's interesting is that the moment I say that, someone might say, how? And you know what that is? That is them, as politely as possible, rolling out the red carpet and saying, would you please give me your testimony? Do you realize that? And you're like, Lord, give me the opportunity to share my testimony. And they go, how? And then God's like, oh, and you're like, oh, man, my spiritual rand hurts from you kicking me because I should be stepping into this. But whether you share your testimony at that moment or not, which, by the way, is reinforcement. By the way, the moment you give that last step, seen by lots of people, seen by lots of witnesses, you have planted the seed. That's it. Everything after that is watering. People are like, what about Cain's wife? I don't care about Cain's wife. What about the Inquisition? I don't care about the Inquisition. Jesus died for your sin, according to Scripture, was buried, rose again on the third day, according to Scripture, and then was seen by lots of people. Well, yeah, well, Mr. Smart, this is one of my favorites, a, a college professor. But can you give me anyone, any secular historical account of someone who saw Jesus raised from the dead. There's one of those moments where something falls out of your mouth and you're like, there's just no way I'm going to be able to filter this. I'm like, are you nuts? Who sees the risen Jesus Christ and stays secular? (laughs) Everyone who said they saw him is a Christian. Duh! If Jesus repaired to you, would you be like, I'm going to go write something secular about it. Really? At that point? That's where you're going to go with it? The path that they're all Christian is because it's true. Because once they meet him, they know change is going to happen. Really, it's going to do something to you. You know, meeting a guy who was dead and actually rose and called himself and proved that he was everything, and he goes, come here and touch these nail holes. It isn't like at that point I'm going to start an atheist website. That's the greater insanity. Like, I touched this guy myself. I know him. I love him. And so listen, can I just say this? I'm not in love with Santa Claus. He doesn't exist. Now, hopefully that isn't shattering anything. 
Easter bunny? No. And I don't know. There's a little part of me I've seen bunnies. They leave these little like things that look like eggs and they're bound. I don't think you should eat them. It's just me. I don't know. What are we teaching our children? Forgive me. But, but listen, there is a guy that I know and I love that some people say don't exist, but they hate him. I don't know anyone that hates Santa. Because he doesn't exist. I don't know anyone that hates the Easter bunny because he doesn't exist. Why do people hate Jesus but then say they're an atheist? How could you hate someone that doesn't exist and then say he doesn't exist? That's insanity. I've met him. Would you like to? I have. I know him and I walk with him and I talk with him. And you're like, you know what? Let's be honest. If this wasn't truth, we should be the most pitiful people on the planet. Let me tell you why. Because I've met someone that lived 2,000 years ago that lives 3,000 miles away and he talks to me. And he loves me, but I'm not like that, but he loves me and I love him too. And you know what? One day he's going to come down from the sky and suck me into the sky and take me away and just whisk me away for eternity. That does sound mental. Let's just be honest. But it doesn't mean it isn't true. It's still true. And because it's true, you've got to deal with it. And I just want to ask you, are you ready to share that with someone? And you're like, well, what happens? And then there's the awkward, well, what do I do at the end of it all? I'll say, no, you have a choice. Would you like to receive that gift or not? I really don't know. Okay. But you have that choice. And then you're like, well, what if they say yes? Then you're like, oh, now what do I do? Try not to give that face, first of all, that goes, really? <laughs> he was right. It really is the power of salvation. And there's the Lord, yeah. Of course, yeah. Well, if Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture, Jesus, I'm a sinner. But I believe he died for me according to Scripture. I believe you were buried. I believe you rose again on the third day according to Scripture. I believe you were seen by a lot of people, and so I give you me. It tells us this, Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you're willing to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It doesn't say you might be. It doesn't say God will take a vote later. It isn't a board meeting. He says if you do this, you'll be saved if you genuinely do this. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. So are you willing to confess him as your Lord? By the way, that means you're handing him the, the right to your life. It doesn't say if you do that and... You join a church, you're baptized, you wave your head, you shave your head, you whatever. Here's the cool thing. Once you hand yourself over to Jesus, you are his project. He has a really good way of working it out. So as we go to prayer, here's my first thing. Some of you, and I love the fact I just set you up for this. God bless you all. Some of you, I'm not too sure you all rose your hand in here. When I said, are you sure that you know that you belong to God, that you would go to heaven if you died right now, that you're his? You can walk out of here, sure. So can I just tell you something quite simply? Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. He was buried. And he rose again on the third day according to Scripture. Just like God promised. And then he was seen by a lot of people. And he wants to be the Lord of your life. Will you accept that gift? If you want to say yes, we're going to pray a prayer. And you're welcome to join me. Maybe you just want to renew your vows. You want to say, you know what, Lord, I just, 
And by the way, this isn't resaving you. You're saved, you're saved. But it's like renewing your vows. It doesn't make you remarried. It just says, just as much today as ever, I, yeah, I say yes. If you have said yes to Jesus, I just want to pray a simple prayer for you and me. Pour your spirit upon us to speak through us. Set up divine appointments where we're ready. Get us out of the way. Your passion is to save them. Your purpose is Jesus. Your power, the Holy Spirit, using the gospel. And I'm glad to be a nobody with a watering can. Because whether you're the one that's going to have the harvest or not, the moment you plant seed, you've begun a harvest in training. A harvest in the future. And I really believe God is going to save radically what he's going to do with London. And I'd like to invite you to be a part of it with me. I don't have a delusion about how great I think I am. It isn't about me. To be honest, I just trust God's tools and they work. Duh. Would you pray with me? God, I know I look at somebody like Paul and people say he's one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived and yet this is what he teaches us to do. As if Paul was to give us a seminar on what it really means to preach the gospel, here it is. So I'm good with that. And God, thank you so much that you made it that simple. It's so simple that we can simply use it for profound effects because the issue is not how great we are. It's not the gift of the farmer. It's the power of the seed. And so, Lord, I pray right now first for every believer, and myself included, that you get us back to just simple faith and your simple truth or your simple power to do things well beyond our understanding, the irony of it all. And we can trust you with those things. I want to thank you that there isn't a person I can look at and think maybe or maybe not you'll want them. You want everyone. And thank you for that. Thank you that you so loved us, you sent your son to die on the cross for us, for all our sins, just like your scripture promised. Thank you that though he was buried, three days later he rose again, just like your scripture promised, seen by a lot of people, so he didn't do it in private, and then offers himself as Lord and Savior to all men. Thank you that we get to be a part of that. Forgive us, Lord, for we've overcomplicated what you made simple. Lord, forgive us for trying to not show up at the blow of the bugle because we're afraid we're not equipped enough or we can't argue well enough or whatever when it's never been our responsibility. And I know there are times you speak such profound things through us that we should take note of what's coming out of our own mouth. And there are other times where you shut us up and we should take note of that too. But Lord, I pray that you would reignite your heart in us to look at those people that maybe have frustrated us or haven't come as quickly with the program or whatever, or maybe even people we've convoluted by not giving the gospel but by arguing over everything else. Make it simple and clear now. And Lord, in this room, for every hand that didn't go up, let your Holy Spirit do his work. Tonight I'm not going to pray a prayer and ask you to just say amen at the end. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. And it's simple. God, I'm a sinner. But I believe you punished my sin on Jesus. He died for my sins according to Scripture. Was buried, rose again on the third day according to Scripture. 
seen by a lot of people, and now deserves to be the Lord and Savior of my life. So I say yes. Declaring Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Now if you want to pray that prayer with me, here it is. God, I'm a sinner. Your turn. But I believe that Jesus died for my sins according to Scripture. That he was buried. And he rose again on the third day according to Scripture. Seen by a lot of people. And deserves to be the Lord and Savior of my life. So I say yes. Confessing Jesus as my Lord. Confessing Jesus as my Savior. I give myself to you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to ask a question. We're we're just at the done spot here. How many of you in this room are confident that if right now you stood before the Lord, you'd be His? Let me see it by a show of hands. Big hands. Hands up. I want to see it. Mm. All right. Okay. Lord, Lord, confirm just as you do your truth. We trust you. And send us out of here ready to plant, ready to water, ready for the harvest. We live in a place where there are some who have never really heard about you. It's almost mind-numbing. We live in a place where there are some that what they've heard has been so wrong, we have to, it's like we have to dig it up and start over. But thank you, Lord, that's your job. We just want to be true with what you've given us. So, Lord... Get us excited about throwing the seed and watching what you do. We're yours. Use us. Jesus, in your name. Amen.